0: this podcast, I'm going to issue a couple of warnings, which I think are very important. One is consider yourself responsible. I picked up a book, What Nietzsche Really Said. Overall, it's a valuable study, if you read Nietzsche, by some professors from Texas. But what follows, I balked at. In defense of wicked acts either inspired by Nietzsche or justified by reference to him, the authors wrote, Once again, we want to proclaim, rather indignantly, that an author is not responsible for vile misreadings of his works. Okay, it would be silly to hold an author to blame for the extreme misreading of a theme or metaphor. But to give a writer absolute license to create without taking any responsibility is, in a sense, denying the power of language and image. For example, The Beatles' White Album got some vile misreadings by Charles Manson. He perceived Blackbird as a call for him to spark a violent uprising by the black community. And at least one reason he engineered the Tate murders was so that white folks, blaming black folks, would take revenge, causing black folks to retaliate. That interpretation was truly nuts. But for him to accept the literal words of happiness is a warm gun as a validation of his homicidal inclinations didn't require the slightest misreading of any kind. If I ever bumped into those professors, I might corner them and argue that while authors shouldn't plague themselves with guilt or potential misreadings, they most certainly should consider how their words might affect impressionable readers. And children aren't the only impressionable ones around. Another warning. Look out. Jack Kerouac and plenty of his followers Fellow writers of what got labeled the Beat Generation attempted to write directly from their unconscious minds, which may be a place where the spirit or spirits resides. Like the Surrealists in France, the Beats often practiced free writing, letting whatever wanted to come, come, refusing to let the conscious mind's editor block its way. By this effort, the beat writers not only helped define the 1950s, but also played a lead role in instigating what we now think of as the 60s. They initiated some primary themes of the hippie movement and launched in many hearts the quest for freedom from restraints, which has since affected all manner of change. It certainly fueled the sexual revolution, which has presented us with so many consequences, not the least the idolization of youth and vitality and the disdain for the wisdom of age and experience. When a spirit moves us, it's wise to recall the example of the Beats or of Wagner or Nietzsche who have been accused of empowering Hitler. These examples can remind us that art leads to consequences. People in churches are often... Taught that the test of whether an inspiration comes from God is how well it lines up with scripture. That's wise advice, but we authors will encounter inspirations to which the advice that advice won't seem to apply. Follow me through a weekend. At the writer's conference in Manhattan Beach at a Marriott I taught the Rogue Workshop, which starts at nine PM and goes until the last student writer fades. At one minute to 9 p.m., I left the pottery playoff game and went downstairs to teach. The workshop lasted a few hours. About 1 a.m. I flopped on my bed. Now, I rarely go anywhere without a novel to read because even if I have no other time, I read myself to sleep. But I had forgotten to bring a novel, so I rifled through the drawers in the nightstands and found the Gideon. I turned to the end to see if it featured a concordance since I wanted to look up the word thanks, which had inspired me on the drive to this place, and see where all it's mentioned. But no concordance in the Gideon. And since my search for a concordance took me to the end of the book and I was too weary to turn many pages and hadn't mind left over this hour to tackle anything in Revelation, I flipped a few pages back to First John. And the last thing I read before I conked out was, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have come into the world. Spirits, I thought, and promised myself to jot a note about this in the morning, since the verse ought to give us confidence that we have ability to discern between the angelic and the demonic, either of which may seek to inspire us. About 7 a.m. I woken, went out for coffee, then returned to my room and sat in front of the television, which I almost never do. I looked for sports or news to learn whether the Padres got bumped out of the playoffs last night. When I had left the game to teach the workshop, they were behind 5 to nothing. As I wielded the remote, and before I reached a sports or news channel, I landed on a sermon by Kenneth Copeland, Who isn't my favorite kind of preacher, but no matter, he was preaching from 1 John about the commandment Jesus gives us to love one another and how our love proves our faith. 1 John again, right? Organ music came on. I went looking for the Padre score, but I landed on another show that featured another preacher. A pretty blonde was questioning him. In response to one question, he assured her, that God promises if we seek his will in humility and through prayer, he'll give us the right answers. I didn't watch this guy for long because I found his toupee distracting. Besides, by now I was thinking I needed to write down this string of bits of advice I was tuning into. I supposed I would conclude from them that if we ask in humility, with thanks and love, God will clue us which inspirations to use and which to ignore. Then we needn't fear changing the world for the worse in our attempt to change it for a better. Because there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. First John 4.18